We're going to be looking this morning at Psalm 1, Psalm 1. So take your Bibles and turn there with me. We're in a series that I'm calling uh, Devotional Disciplines. These are some basic things that Christians ought to do in order to grow and progress in their Christian life. They're habits of righteousness that feed the spirit and starve the flesh. They don't earn us points with God. I want to emphasize that every time I preach this, it's not that you're doing these things and then you tell God, hey, I did what you asked me to do. Now you have to do what I ask you to do. That's, that's not how this works at all. What it does is it clears my heart and my mind so that I can focus on what God focuses on. And specifically, this discipline of meditation that we're going to look at today, this discipline of meditation literally changes the way I think, the way I think about myself, the way I think about the people around me, the way I think about the world, the way I think about everything. It changes how I think because what discipline, what, what meditation is as a discipline is it's a conscious effort to align my thinking with God's thinking. We looked at Philippians 4, 8, and whatsoever things are true and just and lovely, if there be any virtue, think on these things. How do we know which things are pure and lovely and, and beautiful and worth thinking about? Well, we find those things in the Word of God. So as I take time consciously, intentionally, to think God's thoughts after Him, to meditate on Scripture, to let his thoughts tumble around in my head, I'm literally changing the way that I, that I think. Now, last week, who remembers the discipline that we talked about last week? The discipline of prayer. And I gave you homework. And I told you I'm not going to check the homework. You're going to have to just deal with God about it. I had someone call me this week, say, boy, I missed that part of the... What was the homework? And I told him, and he said, great, I'm going to get, and he gave me his, his plan for, for fulfilling that part of the homework. And I was, I, I was so excited. I told my wife, it's neat to know people are paying attention. Even if they didn't pay attention well enough to write the homework down, at least they paid attention enough to call me later and say, what was the homework again? The homework last week was to ask someone who was 30 years older than you or 30 years younger than you for a prayer request and then to pray for that person. And I hope that would encourage, I, I chose that because I hoped it would encourage you to pray. And not just pray for yourself. I'm really good at praying for myself. But to pray for others as well. Now the discipline of meditation today that we're going to look at is another one of those basics. And if you've been a Christian a long time, you're, this is not a new topic to you. In fact, you might be able to tell me more about meditation than I can tell you. I, I don't know. I do know that it helps to refresh ourselves in these matters. How many of you use those microfiber cloths to clean your glasses? How many of you do that? Have you ever noticed that over time, those don't, they're not as effective? After I've used mine, I don't even know how long it is. All of a sudden, I realize it's just more smearing the water around than anything else. And so uh, I, I pass that on to my wife, and she washes them, I think. They show up again, and they work. And it's amazing. A little bit of wash, and they work. And I think when it comes to these basics, even as, a, as, a, as an established Christian, it's just good to refresh our memory, to think again about those basics that make our lives more like Jesus Christ. And this is one of those, these, this discipline of meditation. We're told that Christ, the essence of Christian discipleship, Jesus said to his disciples, if any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And what this discipline of medication, 
helps me do is to learn what it is to deny myself. Our society is constantly telling us you have to think about yourself. You've got to make sure you're happy first. You've got to take care of yourself. And the discipline of meditation changes my thinking. What will bring God glory in this situation? How can I serve him? How can I make him happy, so to speak? Now, remember, Galatians 6 teaches us that we can either feed our flesh or we can feed the spirit. If we feed the spirit, if we sow to the spirit, the Bible says we'll reap life everlasting. If we sow to the flesh, we'll reap destruction. Corruption is the word there, but destruction. And these habits of of righteousness, these devotional disciplines are intended to feed the spirit and starve the flesh. The more you take time to meditate, the more you will feed the spirit. The less time you take to meditate, the more likely you are feeding the flesh. And we're going to look at some specific ways the Bible tells us that we feed the flesh in the way that we think. Now, I want to point something out. And this is a brief definition of meditation here. It's a conscious effort to align my thinking with God's thinking. That's what godly biblical meditation is. But I want to point out to you that everybody who thinks meditates. Everybody who thinks meditates. Now, we don't always call it meditation. But if you spend a lot of time thinking about something and analyzing something with an eye, with an eye or, or the, the plan to do something about it, that is what meditation is. So those of you that enjoy football, on Monday morning you go to work, and what do you do with your coworker? You start talking about the games because you've spent all Sunday night thinking about that stupid pass that the quarterback made. And how could he not read the defense? They were obviously in Tampa too. What did he? Yeah, yeah. And if you think that way about football, what you're doing is you're meditating on football. And you may even say to your coworker, you know what? If the coach would just, and you suggest a solution because you've spent a lot of time thinking about it, that's meditation. Some of you are craftsmen. I, I don't know that you're called that, but you're one of those people who takes great pride in your work. You want to do it well. And do you ever find yourself awake at night thinking about how to complete a project? We recently had a fella come and install some cabinets at my house. And he said to me, he said, I spent all night thinking about how to fix this one problem. Now, I, don't, I think he was exaggerating for effect, but he was a craftsman. He wanted to do it right. He spent a lot of time thinking about that so that he could do the job well. That's, med- that's a form of meditation. Some of you love music. You find that music expresses your emotions and expresses your moods. And do you ever find a song just running through your head over and over? The words, the melody, boy, it just fits where you're at. Hopefully it fits where you're at because you're rejoicing. But sometimes we're just depressed and it's like a dark cloud is over us. And the songs that come to our minds in those times can actually make us more depressed. And that's a form of meditation. By the way, that's why, one of the reasons we sing, we want to praise the Lord. Yes, we want to express our gratitude to Him. But I hope you find that these songs that we're singing express your heart Monday through Saturday as well. And I know from time to time, I'm going through life and it's like, wow, this is great. Be strong in the Lord. That's a reminder to me. Other times, am I a soldier of the cross? (laughs) 
You see, we can express our hearts, our thinking in our music, not just the words, but the melody as well, the, the, the music as well. And that's a form of meditation. How many of you enjoy reading? How many of you enjoy reading mystery novels? And as you're reading through your mystery novel, you get a third of the way through, about halfway through, and what does your mind start doing? Thinking about who did it. Who's the culprit here? Who's the criminal here? How's the detective or the private eye, whoever it is that's in the story, how is he going to solve or how is she going to solve the case? And you lay awake at night until you finally get the book and you open it up and you're reading at two o'clock in the morning because you got to find out who did it. That's, that's a form of meditation. Here's another form of meditation that I hope isn't you, but I, I've been there before. Have you ever had some injustice done to you? Somebody treats you poorly. I mean, just wrong. They just, they were mean or they were rude. Or, and, and that thought just runs through your head. You replay the event over and over thinking, how could I have done things differently? What could I have said differently? And if we're not careful, we start to think, how can I get revenge? That's a form of meditation. It's not a good form of meditation. But all these are when you take your mind intentionally allowing your mind, or maybe we wouldn't say intentionally, but consciously you're thinking about something over and over and over. Psalm 19.14 says this, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. I think it's a reminder. He doesn't say, when I think. No, no. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. The psalmist is recognizing here, words are going to come out of my mouth today. And I'm going to be thinking about stuff today, so I want what I say and what I meditate on to be acceptable to you, O Lord. Everybody meditates. Everybody meditates. I want to, this morning, I want to encourage you to consciously think about what you're meditating on and intentionally choose to meditate on Scripture. And I'm going to help you understand what I mean by that. Again, this is just one of those basic things. When Christians do this, they grow. And when Christians don't do this, they fail. They fail to grow. I had an opportunity to coach basketball at a high school level. And these were always small schools or sometimes just a group of fellas playing in, in, a, in, a, in a junior league. But these were high school kids. And whenever high school kids got together to practice, they always wanted to play like Thompson and Curry, right? They all thought that they were the next, going to be the next LeBron James. And I would say, until you can dunk the basketball, let's focus on the basics. Are you blocking out? Are you passing to the open man? Yeah, but he can't shoot, and I can. I'd say, no, you can't shoot either. You might as well pass it to him and let him try it. He's closer to the basket than you are. Let's do the basics right, I would tell them. Let's not try to get fancy. Let's just focus on what we can do rather than on what somebody else is doing. And I know Christians who will say to me, well, I could never be like so-and-so Christian. And so, I, you know, I don't, I'm not asking you to be like so-and-so Christian today. I'm asking you to do what you can do, which is meditate on Scripture. And it will, it will, guarantee you, it will change the way that you think. We're here in Psalm 1. Let, let me read to you the first three verses. Psalm 1.1, Blessed is the man that walketh not, in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, 
His leaves, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Father, as we examine, as we meditate on this passage this morning, open our eyes to the treasures of truth that are there. Help us to think clearly about what meditation is, and then to choose intentionally to think on these things. Your word, what you've said, what you've taught us, what you've shown us. Holy Spirit, move in our minds and our hearts today to, to, to break away the barnacles that are hindering our forward progress, to raise the sails and let the wind of your Spirit push us in the direction that you want us to go. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. First of all, here we have some impediments, some obstacles, some things that get in the way of godly meditation. Notice that in verse 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. These are all impediments. The, the, the uh, counsel of the ungodly, the way of sinners, the seat of the scornful, these are all impediments. Obstacles to us thinking about these things. Thinking about, intentionally choosing to think about the Bible and Scripture. Now, let's just, again, consider what this means. What does it mean to walk in the counsel of the ungodly? It simply means to live according to the advice of people who don't love God's law. They're not Christians. They're not interested in the glory of God. And they always have counsel for you. They always have an idea. I've worked jobs, and, and maybe some of you are working jobs now, where you work beside someone, and they're constantly giving you life advice. And their life is a mess. And you say, what, what are you talking about? You don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, yes, I do. Well, we can live according to their advice and their counsel, but that's walking in the counsel of the ungodly. What do we mean by standing in the way of sinners? Well, let's just think about this for a second. Let's imagine that between this door and that door is a path, and it just people are walking along it. If we're standing in the way of sinners, the way of sinners, who's going to be walking along this path? Sinners, right? This is the way of sinners. They're just walking back and forth. This is the way they go. This is the path they take. Why in the world would I be standing where the sinners are walking back and forth? What would I have to gain there? You say, well, I'm not actually going anywhere with them. I'm just, I'm just standing here. Doing what? Well, I'll tell you what we're doing. Yeah, we're watching what they're doing. You know, we recognize that what they're doing is wrong and evil, but we don't really want to turn our backs on it. We just want to see what's going on. That's indulging the flesh. That is what it is. I mentioned that we can either feed the spirit or we can feed the flesh. And when I'm watching what sinners are doing and interested in what they're doing and paying attention to what they're doing, I'm indulging my flesh. I'm feeding my flesh. I tell you what, that is a bad place to be. It says that he doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. We don't use this word scornful much anymore. Let me use a different word that has a similar meaning, sarcasm. Now, I have to admit, and my wife will tell you that I love sarcasm. I, boy, I eat it up. Boy, sarcasm. It's, but I've realized in life, it's so much easier to make fun of something, to ridicule something, than to actually do anything about it. And notice that these people aren't walking. They're not the way of sinners. They're not standing. They are sitting. Because scornful people never get up to do anything about it. They just sit there and make fun. Oh, look at that guy. That's so stupid. 
Hey, look at that person. I can't believe they're doing that. They don't actually go and help them. They're not actually trying to make anything better. They're just making fun. They're just ridiculing. What's the point of sitting in their seat? Now, as I was thinking about this, where, where is it that you will find ungodly advice? Where is it that you'll be able to indulge your flesh by watching what the sinners are doing, maybe not participating, but watching what the sinners are doing, and where is it that you'll find all kinds of sarcasm and ridicule making fun of things? Social media. Now, I don't know what your social media looks like. I, I, there's a couple of uh, apps on my phone that I just eventually deleted. Because I realized all I was doing was indulging my flesh and listening to sarcasm and ridicule. And again, I love it. I mean, it's funny. The things that, the memes that people put out there. But how is that helping me grow as a Christian is the question. And we all have to determine whether we're going to walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of the scornful, or if we're going to delight in the law of the Lord. And as long as you choose social media or other things where you're going to indulge your flesh, you're going to listen to the scornful, rather than delight in the law of the Lord, you're going to not grow as a Christian. This is a real problem, and it's not just in our social media, it's in our entertainment. Now, I use that word entertainment because it's really broad, I understand that, but movies... Movies have a worldview. They're teaching you something. They're telling you something about life. Now, sometimes it agrees with the Word of God, and too often it doesn't have any resemblance to reality. The example I love to use, AJ's given it to me, and and he's right, is the way that guns work in movies has nothing to do with reality. I mean, this guy will pull his trigger on a handgun 77 times and never run out of bullets. They'll be spraying literally thousands of bullets all over a a, a small area and nobody gets hit. I mean, not even on the toe. It just doesn't work that way. That's not how life works. Now, I use that example because I think anyone who knows guns has to recognize that the way guns are portrayed in movies is not accurate. There's a lot of things that are portrayed in movies that's not accurate. Romance doesn't work the way movies say it does. Raising your children doesn't work the way movies say it says it does. Music is another form of entertainment that often points us in the wrong direction. And as Christians, we have to decide whether we're going to walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of the scornful, or not. The first word of verse 2 is but. It's a conjunction. It it contrasts what's happening in verse 1 with what's happening in verse 2. And it's a reminder to us that either I will choose to walk in the counsel of the ungodly, to stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of the scorners, or I will choose to delight in the law of the Lord. Now, I, I, if you've been a Christian any length of time, you say, well, pastor, actually, sometimes you are just feel like you're balanced on the fence in between one or the other. And you're exactly right. And if you've ever tried to sit on a fence, that's a terrible place to sit. Uh, let's be frank, if you're, on, if you're literally sitting on a fence, especially a barbed wire fence, you're better on one side or the other than sitting on the fence. If you're a Christian, we have to decide, intentionally decide, I'm going to st- choose to delight in the law of the Lord. I'm not going to sit on the fence, and I'm not going to be over here walking in the counsel of the ungodly. That's a choice you make. 
I can't make it for you. I, I can't give you a list. Okay, here's all the movies you shouldn't watch. Here's all the music you shouldn't listen to. Here's all the social media platforms to watch out for. Don't subscribe. Don't be a follower of this person. You know what? I have no idea what goes on in most of the world. But I can see sin coming at me. And I can make a choice. I'm going to delight in the law of the Lord. Or I'm going to stand in the way of sinners and see what they're doing. I'm going to sit in the seat of the scornful and make fun. Ridicule. I want you to notice, first of all, the motivation for godly meditation. The motivation is not that your pastor has just yelled at you. Come on, you need to meditate on God's word. The motivation isn't even because you want to prosper, although we'll get there. Verse 3, whatsoever you do is shall prosper. The motivation isn't to please someone. or The motivation is his delight is in the law of the Lord. Do you delight in the law of the Lord? One of the things I delight in, easy illustration for me when it comes to delight in, is food. I don't know if you enjoy eating as much as I do, but when I think of delighting in something, I think of strawberry shortcake with fresh strawberries. I'm not talking about the ones you buy at the store. I'm talking about the ones you've gone to the field and you've purchased them directly from the people that picked them. Always wash those first, by the way. Or maybe you've picked them yourself. Wash those first as well. But you have fresh strawberries. I'm not talking about the Cool Whip or the stuff that comes out of a can. I mean, you've taken heavy whipping cream. You've poured it in a mixing bowl. You've let the beaters run through it for a while. You put in a little bit of vanilla, a little bit of powdered sugar, right? Not granulated sugar. You let that beat for a while. You have whipped cream. You have fresh strawberries. You have some of your own sponge cake. My personal preference is pound cake that you've made yourself. You've put those ingredients together. You don't have to ask me to eat that. Just leave it sitting out. It'll disappear. I delight in it. Boy, you, strawberry shortcake. That's one of my favorites. That's the way the word of the, the Lord should be to us. That's the way scripture should be to us. We delight in it. I don't have to beg you to read God's word. I don't have to come by and check and say, did you read God's word today? Here's your, here's your reading. Make sure you do it. Now, I'm willing, especially for a young Christian in the Lord, I'm willing to help them with that. But when your delight is in the law of the Lord, you intentionally choose to meditate on it because that's where you find joy. That's where you find pleasure. That's where your desire is. This word, in fact, is translated in other places as pleasure, as desire. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Someone may be saying, well, preacher, that's really strange because I have no delight in the law of the Lord. I've never delighted in the law of the Lord. This stuff is boring. I just don't get it. I open it up. I read it. It's like, It's like alphabet soup to me. I'd much rather go to YouTube. I'd much rather do this, uh, listen to this music. I'd much rather, I would rather cut myself with paper than read this. If that's your attitude, I'm going to suggest the reason, the, the first reason you don't delight in the law of the Lord is you're not God's child. You see, the Bible tells us that in order to understand God's word, we need the Holy Spirit to help us. And without the Holy Spirit, yeah, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And some people have asked me, sometimes people will ask me, you know, preacher, why are there so many different interpretations of the Bible? Because I'm convinced that that sometimes ungodly, 
people, people who are not Christians, people who are not God's children, they read this, and it doesn't make sense to them, so they make it make sense to them. They make things up. I don't need to give you examples other than to say, if you don't, if you've never delighted in God's word, let me suggest that you're not a Christian. That's why you don't delight in it. You see, the only way any of us become Christians isn't by coming to church. I've known a lot of people who've come to church a lot, and they don't understand the Bible. They don't delight in it. They, they don't care about it. Because just coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. You can be baptized. You can even be dunked under the water and brought back up out of the water. That doesn't make you a Christian. You might still hate the Word of God, or at least not understand it. I, hate's probably too strong. It's just, you know, I don't get it. What's the point? You can say prayers, you can give money, you can do certain formula. The only way any of us is saved is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's admitting that I'm a sinner, that my sins are an offense against a holy God, that nothing I can do will earn me a place in heaven, that Jesus Christ already paid the penalty for my sin. His resurrection proves that he is the victor over sin and over death. And then he offers to me that forgiveness as a gift. That's the only way any of, us is, any of us becomes a child of God. And it's not until you become a child of God that you'll find any delight in his word. But even after you've become a child of God, you have to work to develop a taste for God's word. How many of you have lived in another continent Okay, how many of you, while you were on that other continent, tried something that was called uh, candy or dessert that you thought was disgusting? Now, if okay, I'm sort of surprised because I know when we went to Mongolia, there was this little white stuff they called it arol, arol, and this little white it came in various sizes and shapes. Sometimes it was round, sometimes it was uh, in in rectangles or squares, sometimes it was sort of tubular, it sort of looked like pasta, but it was white. And they made it out of milk. And to most Americans that we ever met, they found it disgusting. And they would say, what is this? I would say, this is Mongolian candy. And they'd say, what is wrong with the Mongolians? <laughs> that they want to eat this stuff. Well, what I found out is Mongolians... Some of it is hard. Some of the arrow is hard. Some of it's semi-soft, but some of it's hard. And they'll give it to their children when their children are teething, when they're, you know, year old. Is it a year old with children teething? I don't know when children teeth. I just know I had four of them, and they all have teeth. So <laughs> at some point, as they're going through this teething, you give them something, and they sort of gnaw on it. They, they don't actually have much teeth. They just, some gums there, and they just sort of gnaw on it. The Mongolians give arrow to their children to gnaw on when they're going through that teething phase. Is it any wonder their children grow up enjoying that? They've grown up with it. it. It tastes delicious to them. To us, it has that sour milk sort of taste. It sort of tastes like buttermilk if you were to harden it into a block. You know what's funny is my children actually enjoy it. They were six weeks old, one of them when we went, four, four five years old, the oldest when we went over to Mongolia. They grew up eating that stuff. They like it. We... We brought a bowl of it back when we were still ministering in Oregon, and we left it out in the foyer. We said to the, the folks, hey, if you would like to try some Mongolian candy, take some out of the bowl. I just, just left it at that. By the way, if I ever try that on you, you know better. 
they went by, they, they were spitting it out in the garbage can. It was just terrible. And Caleb went over there, my son Caleb, many of you know me, just eating the stuff casually. How can you stand it? He has developed a taste for it. He's developed a taste for it. I'm telling you, if you're a child of God, you can develop a taste for God's word by spending time with it. If you don't spend time with it, you won't like it. I mean, it is. It's hard. It's, it says some things that are challenging, that are convicting. Like husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Why can't I be bitter against my wife? You know how terrible my wife is? I, I'm speaking as an illustration. My wife is good, but I, I know some of you have wives like that. What is the scripture talking about? You have to develop a taste for God's word by spending time with it. Young people develop a taste for God's word while you're young. I was so glad that my parents, because they loved God and they loved me, they brought me up in church and they, and they force-fed me the word of God. Because I developed, not immediately, it wasn't until I was older, but I developed a love, a delight for God's word. That's our motivation. Once we develop a delight in God's word, then how do we meditate on it? What does meditation do? It says his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night. What does it mean to meditate? Well, it means to repeatedly think the words of scripture, to repeatedly think over and about and on the words of scripture. Let it go through your mind again and again and again and again. The easiest way is to memorize a verse or a passage. You can write it out on a piece of paper if you'd like, and then read it over and over and over. Or if you've memorized it, you just say it over and over and over in your mind. And you notice some things, just as you're doing that, you just start begin to notice some things about the context, especially if you've memorized it. I, I know for myself, when I memorize something, it helps me to remember it, to think in a pattern. So look at verse one with me. First, the man is walking in the way of sinners. Then he is standing, excuse me, he's walking in the counsel of the ungodly. Then he's standing in the way of sinners. Then what is he doing third? He's sitting, walking, standing, sitting. See the progression there? I wonder what that means. Now, I'm not going to give it away, but you can think about that a long time. What does it mean to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Why would he be standing in the way of sinners? How does one sit in the seat of the scornful? Meditation is thinking about that over and over and over. You think about the context. You consider the grammar. Notice the verb forms. In verse 1, walking and standing and sitting, that's all in the present. That's something you do all the time. It's not a one-off. You know, blessed is the man that walked not in the counsel of the God. No, no, he walks not. He's, he's not constantly doing it. He's not constantly standing in the way of sinners. Boy, that's a blessing to me because, you know, there are times I have stood in the way of sinners for a minute and the Lord's rebuked me and I said, you're right, Lord, I'm wrong. Forgive me. And you turn away from that and God forgives us, doesn't he? And you're blessed. But if you stand there and you stand there and you stand there, you're not going to be blessed. Notice verse 3, we haven't gotten there, I don't know that we'll get there today, but it says, he shall be. That's future tense. You see, meditating on God's word is today, but the results from that meditation may not happen right away. If you said, okay, 
you know, preacher, you're right. I'm going to grab God's word. I'm going to meditate on it. And you started meditating on it today. Next week may not be any different for you. Next month. But if you'll invest time into intentionally thinking on God's word, intentionally meditating on God's word, in the future, it will have results. It's guaranteed to have results because the Bible says he shall be like a tree. Not he might be like a tree or he could be like a tree or some people become like a tree. No, he shall be like a tree. So as you're meditating, you think about the context, you consider the grammar, what forms the verbs take, even the conjunctions, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. That is a uh, 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 um, conjunction that shows two opposite things. He doesn't do this, but he does that. But verse 3 starts with and, because that's additive. Not only does he do this, but and he's going to have this in his life. So think about the conjunctions and the grammar. Consider the vocabulary. What do the words mean? Delight. What does it mean to delight in the law of the Lord? I gave you my example, strawberry shortcake. But some of you may say, I hate strawberries. That's not a good example for you then. What, What would it mean for you to delight in the law of the Lord? Consider the word pictures. The word picture in verse 3 is a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. Now, sometimes we have to go back in history a little bit and think about what they're saying, because frankly, here in Northern California, if it rains or if it doesn't rain, there's still going to be food at Winco. Now, if there's a pandemic, all bets are off. But as long as as there's no pandemic, there's always going to be food at Winco. But let's imagine that when it didn't rain here, that there was less food at Winco or Walmart or wherever you shop, Sam's Club, wherever it is. Boy, you'd become very attuned to the rain patterns, wouldn't you? And wouldn't it be nice to have a tree that was planted by the rivers of water and it didn't matter what the rain patterns were? Which is exactly why we have what we have. uh, By God's grace and with with, uh, the ingenuity God's given us, we've built a series of reservoirs around here. So even in the driest months, there are canals around here that are filled with water. And these trees out here, they're green today because they're watered regularly. Now, it used to be they'd have big sprinkler systems just throwing water everywhere. We found that's a terrible waste. So if you go out there, you'll see little black tubes, hoses that run all along each row of trees. And those are perforated with little holes where the water comes out right around the root of that tree. Those trees out there are planted by water, not rivers of water, but by the water. And as we're, what, what we're doing right now is we're meditating on what these verses mean. And you can do that on your own. You don't need my help. That's what meditation is. I'm going to give you some more homework. How many of you enjoy homework? Okay, a few of you. Here's your homework. Turn with me to John chapter 10. I'm going to give you a verse to meditate on. Again, I don't know how I'm going to check this. I don't have a plan to check this, but I'm going to give you a verse to meditate on this week. John chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus says this in John chapter 10, verse 9. John chapter 10, verse 9. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and shall find pasture. Now that's an interesting verse to me. Memorize that verse or at least write it out on a piece of paper, John chapter 10, verse 9, and meditate on it this week. 
Notice the context. Read the verses around it. What is Jesus talking about? You'll find out very quickly he's talking about sheep. I'm the door. What would, what would that mean for a sheep? I am the door. Well, one of the things it would mean for the sheep is when the sheep is inside of the pen, inside of the barn, so to speak, what does that door do for the sheep? Protects their safety there. So see what we're doing? We're thinking about what does he mean by I am the door? By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. This is an amazing verse. Think about it for this, for this week. John chapter 10, verse 9. Consider the vocabulary. Consider the, the grammar. Consider the word picture. Jesus says, I am the door. What would it be for a Christian to go in and out and to find pasture? And write down the lessons that you learn from this verse. John chapter 10, verse 9. That's your homework. Now, if you want to do extra credit, I, when I was in high school, my students would always say, I want to do extra credit. I'd say, I want you to do the assignment. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll do extra credit. Here's your extra credit. Take those lessons that you learned from John chapter 10, verse 9, and share it with someone else. It could be someone in the church. It could be a family member. Maybe someone at work needs to hear from John chapter 10, verse 9. Maybe your neighbor needs to hear about Jesus said, I am the door. I don't know, but take time to meditate on John chapter 10, verse 9. And if you want to do the extra credit, find someone to share what you learn about John chapter 10, verse 9. Think about it. And next week, we will continue this message from John, uh, not from John, from Psalm chapter 1 on meditation. Father, thank you for bringing us out this morning, for blessing us with your word and I want to be a Christian who intentionally thinks your thoughts, the ones you wrote to us, your words written for us in, in the scriptures. And I want my brothers and I want my sisters in the Lord to also think about the scriptures. I want our souls to be saturated with the scriptures. I want our minds to be fixed on your words. So would you remind us this week to meditate on John chapter 10 and verse 9? Would you show us how this works? Would you give us some details from this verse that we can share with someone else? And open our hearts and our minds to your truth. We're told that in your word there are treasures. Help us to find those treasures this week. I pray for anyone here that's not a child of God. They're struggling with your word. They don't delight in it, frankly, because they're not your children. It doesn't make sense to them. I pray that this morning, this afternoon, would be the day of salvation for them, that they would see their need for Jesus Christ and turn in, away from their sin and to you in faith and repentance. And we ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.